produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Welcome to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahe. And I'm Yasmin Amr. So I know we're all grieving something during our time in isolation. Andrea, is there anything that you were particularly looking forward to that might have gotten canceled because of this pandemic? Yeah, I'm really bummed my choir concerts for the spring were canceled. It was going to be a big, like, 10th anniversary concert series, so I'm really bummed about that. But honestly, what I'm most sad about is that I had to cancel my trip home to Florida to see my parents and my brother. I'm hoping that I could maybe do it sometime this summer, but I'm obviously I'm not I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Yeah, so around that conversation of family and friends, this is where I'm really struggling too. So next week, we're marking Ramadan, which is the Muslim holiday where you fast for 30 days, sunrise to sunset. And it sounds really hard because it is, but I really do love it. And that's because at the end of each day, you break fast with other people. Almost every night, we're at someone's house sharing a meal. And it's just hands down the most social time of the year for me. So you remember last year, I actually invited some of our co-workers for an iftar dinner, and I really wanted to do that again. So Yasmin, I know that you're bummed, but I also know that you are not alone. There are so many people who are worshiping during Easter and Passover and Ramadan, and they're doing it on their own in isolation, and they're feeling that pain. Rabbi Aliza Berger in Newton, Massachusetts, says not seeing people during Passover is really hard. A Zoom Seder is not the same as a, as a non-Zoom Seder. There is a moment of loss. I mean, every day when I go into the sanctuary and it's physically empty, though I know we have hundreds of people that are connecting with us online, I, I really miss seeing everyone face to face. But you know what's interesting? Despite the empty buildings, several religious leaders told us they're seeing more, not less participation in their online services. And that surprised even them. You know, Reverend Ginger Gaines Sorelli in Washington just celebrated Easter, and she told me her church has actually been scheduling more services over the last few weeks. And what we're seeing is our numbers of engagement online going through the roof. I mean, kind of exponentially, I think, you know, across spiritual traditions, certainly within the church, that has been the case. When things get stormy, people try to find a place to anchor. And it's like you find the place that feels like it has some permanent, some grounding um, and helps you remember things that are really real and, and that matter and that are true. And maybe focusing on those things that really matter has led more congregants to reach out, to offer donations and their moral support. We have volunteers who have committed to calling every single member of the congregation, which is, is no small thing because we have over 1,300 member families just saying, hey, I care about you and I want to make sure that you're doing okay and I want to find out if there's anything I can do to help you. That's that's profound. I'm I'm kind of stunned by this outpouring of people's goodwill and generosity, even when their own situations, you know, everyone's situation is so uncertain in this moment. 
It's really nice to hear that silver lining, you know, more, not less connection at this time of extreme isolation. It really is. So as we get ready to mark Ramadan next week, I reached out to Fayaz Jaffer. He's an associate chaplain and professor at the Islamic Center at New York University. And I wondered, what advice does he have for people like me who are in this kind of mourning stage over lost time with friends and family? And he says, think about it this way. We have extra time, time we often pray for. And that's a gift if we use it wisely. To transform and really think and contemplate about how I can be someone who's a difference maker in this world towards serving those who, you know, are isolated or marginalized within our communities, that can be something very, very uh, powerful and impactful. You know, a lot of traditions emphasize finding purpose and meaning by doing good in the world. And that might be especially important now, at a time of such grief and loss, you know, reaching out to people who you might have never otherwise have met. There's a real optimism that people are building relationships that can outlast a long and painful pandemic. In today's world, it's it's tempting to feel like there are separations, there are barriers, right? It's us and them and like this community and that community. Uh, and I think that one of the takeaways from COVID-19 is that there's, it's not divided. We are a world together. And so our work is really to do the work of community building so that we can all emerge from this time of being in a narrow, bound, tight, unpleasant place uh, to a place with with more freedom, more regard, more health, God willing, um, and more blessings that we can share together. So together, religious or not, we hope we can all come out of this more connected, more engaged, and less divided. We'll have more Kind World after the break. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahe. And I'm Yasmin Amr. Right now, we're seeing so many people step up to help their friends, their family, their neighbors, even strangers. Sometimes these acts of compassion are big, like people who've opened their homes to those in need, or doctors risking their lives and coming out of retirement to help out in hospitals. But other times, it's something small that makes the biggest impact. And that's true even when we're not in crisis. Here's this week's story. Carla Kaiser Kotrick says whenever she's part of a new musical or play, the cast becomes like a family. And that includes everyone, even those you share the stage with just once, like fellow actress Heather Fritton. Heather and I met during rehearsals for Grease the Musical. I'm always really nervous the first day, but she was really warm and very welcoming. Heather remembers meeting Carla for the first time, too. 
Carla is bigger than life. She always has something funny to say, and she's just bright and bubbly and warm and just a really joyful, loving person. As rehearsals for the community theater production progressed, the cast got closer. But once the show ended, they all went their separate ways. Carla with her husband, Stephen, and Heather with a man who would become her husband. Soon, Heather had two boys, Tegan and Quinlan, and she and her husband were raising them in the suburbs of Denver, Colorado. As far as I knew, we had the happiest marriage based off friendship and mutual respect. I felt like the future was bright and we were building this great family and everything was going well. But five years into their marriage, Heather discovered her husband had been hiding alcohol around the house and lying about his drinking. I didn't know it at the time, but I've come to find out in later years that he had a serious alcohol addiction. And at this time, it just spiraled out of control. After confronting him, he packed a bag, asked for a divorce, and walked out on her. Suddenly, Heather was a single mother to a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. In a matter of days, her previous life was gone, and she needed help building a new one. But she didn't know where to turn, even though her friends and family were offering support. When someone says, let me know if you need anything, you just think, I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know what to begin with. I need so much help and just feel like my whole life is a disaster. But Carla could relate. She had gone through her own divorce, and she remembered what it felt like at first when everyone offers help. You are so overwhelmed by it. You have no idea how to assign people something that you need. So Carla decided to act. One morning, Heather was sitting at her desk at work, and she got a message from Carla. They hadn't seen each other in several years. And it just said, where do you work? I'm bringing you dinner. And it just felt like a little safety net just showed up, like, I gotcha. I'm going to come help you out with this one little thing, just dinner for you and the boys. I just felt like an everyday something is going to make a difference in her day. I just remember her hugging me and seeing me, like really looking at me and saying, I'm so sorry this is happening to you and really just validating what I was going through. And then, you know, just that love, that big love that Carla has that she spreads to the whole world. It wasn't just the roasted chicken, mashed potatoes, and delicious sides that made a difference. It was something more, something in that kind gesture that touched Heather deeply. She says it was a turning point for her. And I remember it as being... One of the first times I thought, I'm going to be okay. We're going to figure this out. We're going to be able to make it through this because I have this wonderful community and these people who are going to reach out their hands and, and help us. But Carla's compassion didn't stop there. She knew that Heather would need support for months after the shocking separation. 
So I took a bunch of cards and I would put, you know, like a, a supportive inspirational phrase or just a single word, brave or strong, or write a, like a two-line sentence or note, and I put them in the mail once a week. I would go out to my mailbox, which was not a fun experience during this time because there were legal letters and bills, but every once in a while, I would get this little note from Carla, and it just would kind of keep me going for that day. These small acts of kindness meant so much to Heather, but to Carla, it didn't feel like a big sacrifice. It felt like I was caring about someone that I care about and didn't want her to feel alone. It just shows me how important it is to really try to connect with people as much as you can in such a human way. And Heather says those notes and that one meal helped her find her way through the darkness. Carla's act of kindness turned on a flashlight and it showed me, go this way. And gradually, things started lightening up around me and the path started showing around me. That's why it's so important to just do one little thing. Bringing someone dinner may seem insignificant, but it's not just bringing a meal. It's an act of generosity and compassion for someone who's hurting or in need. And we're seeing acts like Carla's every day right now through this pandemic, when every small act can make a difference, shining a light toward better days. Thanks for listening to Kind World this week. Check out our Instagram for more on this episode and a look at how we make our show. We're at WBUR Kind World. Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design. Sophie Eisenberg is our WBUR fellow. Catherine Brewer is our managing producer and editor. And Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Amr. And I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahe. We'll be back with a full episode of Kind World next Tuesday. But on Friday, we'll have another listener voicemail drop in your feed so you can start your weekend off with our bonus moment of kindness. If you've got a story for us, call 617-353-6350 and leave us a voicemail. Thanks for listening. See you next week.